Well, morning everyone. If you're uh, at the depot here live or whether you're watching on live stream. Uh, this morning we're beginning um, a new series and it's going to be based on the book uh, Gentle and Lowly. And um, basically in this book of about, I think there's about 28 chapters or so, there's a different scripture that each chapter is based on. And we're going to preach through those scriptures. Just, and it'll take us right up to Christmas. Sorry to mention Christmas, but it'll take us right up to that. Uh, we'd really encourage everyone to get a hold of this book, uh, Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. Uh, you can buy it. Um, there's one or two special deals at the moment. And uh, St. Andrew's Bookshop, if you find them on Facebook, or you can type them into a search engine, it'll come up. They're doing it for about $8.99. And uh, I, I'd really recommend you get all this. It's certainly one of the best books I've ever read. And, and many people are saying the same thing. And it would really help just to be uh, um, going through it together. We're also going to have some uh, community group notes so that as each week uh, we do a preach from a particular, chat, a particular um, piece of scripture looking at Jesus, we can then discuss it and apply it to our lives, and there'll also be things for the children with uh, kids' own uh, as well. And the reason we're, we're doing this is because it's one thing to know uh, the doctrine about Jesus. It's one thing to know, uh, you know, we can say, well, yes, we know who Jesus was, we know what he did, he died on the cross. We're probably very familiar with the story uh, that the kids' own video portrayed. It's one thing to know about that, but it's another thing altogether to get behind the heart of how Jesus feels about it. Because to be honest, if we didn't know, he could have done all of those things, but actually really just done it out of obedience to his father, without particularly thinking anything of us at all. He could have just done it out of obedience. But it's really important we understand there is a heart behind Jesus' actions that actually make the actions even more incredible for us to know. And for us as a church, I guess probably for every Christian on the planet at the moment, the thing that really would do us a lot of good at this time when we've all had to struggle with all so many things through COVID, the thing that would really do us a lot of good is, is not so much just to learn lots more information, but to actually know how Jesus feels about us. And that's one of the reasons the book is called Gentle and Lowly, because it's, a, it's an exploration into how Jesus feels about us. There's a little, uh, we'll, we'll be quoting from the book extensively and, uh, as we go through, but there's, um, I was just thinking of Ken and Maggie and the video we saw earlier this morning. Oh, it's tremendous, isn't it, just to see 50 years and uh, you know, still going strong. It's wonderful. And um, in the introduction to the, to the book, it says, A wife may tell you much about her husband, his height, his eye colour, his eating habits, his education, his job, his handiness around the house, his best friend, his hobbies, his Myers-Briggs personality profile, his favourite sports team. But what can she say to communicate his knowing gaze across a table over a dinner at their favourite restaurant? That look that reflects years of ever-deepening friendship, thousands of conversations and arguments through which they have safely come, a time-ripened settling into the assurance of embrace, come what may. That glance 
that speaks in a moment, his loving protection more clearly than a thousand words. In short, what can she say to communicate to another her husband's heart for her? It's one thing to describe what your husband says and does and looks like. It's something else, something deeper and more real to describe his heart for you. So with Christ. It's one thing to know the doctrines of the incarnation and the atonement and a hundred other vital doctrines. It's another more searching matter to know his heart for you. Who is he? And that's what we're going to look at. We're going to sort of try and get very up close and personal to Jesus. Say, well, who are you? How do you feel about me? How do you really feel about me? Are you mildly resentful of me? Are you irritated by me? Am, am I a disappointment to you? I guess we all go through those questions sometimes, don't we? And you sort of think, well, no, what do you feel about me, Jesus? Are you just somewhat irritated? And sometimes when we go through darkness and difficulty and pain, and maybe you know that's you today or whenever you're listening to this, there's all sorts of stuff going on in your life, mysteries, pain, pressures, emotional challenges, all sorts of things. Sometimes things that go on and on and on don't seem to have an outcome. And you think, well, why? Why is this happening? How do, why is Jesus allowing this? Why is this not getting sorted out? And it can be really important to get to the heart of how Jesus feels to help us with these sorts of things. One other thing, just as a, as a start, uh, is just to have a look at a quick uh, video clip. Uh, some of you who may um, follow some of the social media stuff I put up might have seen this already, but I liked it so much, only a couple of minutes long. Uh, just a clip from a, a preach that uh, Alistair Begg uh, did some time ago. And uh, I think it just sums up um, the extravagance of Jesus' heart for us. And uh, so we're just going to show that, and then I'll take us through some scripture as a bit of an introduction to the series. So let's watch this together. If you were to die tonight and, and, and you were getting entry into heaven, what would you say? If you answer that, and if I answer it in the first person, we've immediately gone wrong. Because I, because I believed, because I have faith, because I am this, because I am continuing. Loved ones, the only proper answer is in the third person, because he, because he. Think about the thief on the cross. And what an immense, I can't, I, I can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him, how did that shake out for you? Because you were, you were, you were, you were cussing the guy out with your friend, You've never been in a Bible study. You never got baptized. You, never, you didn't know a thing about church membership. And, and, yet, and yet, you made it. You made it. How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said. You know, like, what are you doing here? Well, I don't know. What, what do you mean you don't know? Well, because like, I don't know. Well, you know, we... Excuse me, let me get my supervisor. They go get the supervisor ranger. So we just a few questions for you. First of all, are you, are, you, are, you, are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? 
guys who have never heard of it in my life. And, and what about, uh, let's just go to the doctrine of scripture immediately. This guy's just staring. And eventually in frustration, he says, on, on what basis are you here? And he said, the man on the middle cross said, I can come. Now, now, that's the, that is the only answer. That is the only answer. Hmm. It's powerful, isn't it? The man on the middle cross said you could come. And getting to understand the heart of the man on the middle cross is why we're, why we're going to preach through this, just so that we can immerse ourselves again into how Christ feels about us, because that's actually where everything else springs from. So Colossians 2, let's just have a look at uh, some scriptures. Colossians 2, verses 6 to 15, just a few thoughts to start our series off as an introduction. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised, not with a circumcision made without hands, but by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross." He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by, a, by triumphing over them in him. Father, I pray you just help us as we just look through these verses and that we really would more and more through this series, through this morning, get to understand how Jesus really does feel about us, what his heart is, how we can really know what he's done for us, what he feels towards us, and how he wants us to walk out our lives in fellowship with him. So help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First of all, we just read it, it says, um, as you received him, as you received him, walk in him. So as you received him. So I want to look at that. How, how then... Did we receive Christ? Well, all of the things that Paul then lists are sort of different images of the same act action, really. They're, he's just using different, different kind of illustrations to make us think, ah, oh, right, it's like that. Ah, oh, right, it's like that. Oh, yeah, it's like that. So he's just looking at it, looking at the same thing from lots of different actions. So the question is, how did we receive Christ? If you're a believer this morning... You might think to yourself, a bit like the, the thief on the cross, well, how, how did it happen? <laughs> how did it happen? How, how is it that I am now a Christian? Uh, what's the process? What is it that's happened? Well, the thing that we have to underline with everything that Paul says here is God did it. You, we didn't, God did it. God did it. God did it. So if you believe in Jesus this morning, if you've received him into your life as, as your saviour, if you know that you are 
his this morning. God did that. God did it. And Paul uses some examples here. He says, um, you were, in verse 11, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by a circumcision of Christ. Now, what he's doing is he's saying, he's speaking to, obviously, to a, a, an audience that would have been familiar with Jewish practice, and Jewish male boys were circumcised on the eighth day. And the reason for that was that it gave a visual sign of their identity. It was an external act done to male Jewish uh, children to, dis- to confirm that they- their identity was God's people when it was all about you know, external things in the Old Covenant. And what uh, Paul is saying is, you know, when we, when we uh, come to Christ we no longer have an identity based on external things, the way we look, the way we feel, the way we behave, the way we act. We don't do things to earn an identity. We don't do things externally that bring us to know Christ. What happens is that Christ, using the imagery of circumcision, what happens is he he cuts away from us our heart of sin. He cuts away our old nature. He cuts from us, without hands, it says there, which is a good thing, it it says he cuts from us our old nature, and it's gone, it's removed. He removes it. So when you and I receive Christ, however that happened, in that moment, Jesus cut away from you all your old nature that was separated from God, that was um, uh, full of of, uh, sin, full of... uh, hostility to God, wasn't following God, was separated from God. All of that was cut off. Christ cut that off. So you now have been given a circumcision of the heart. Your heart has been made new. You've been given a new nature. You bear the marks inwardly of a new identity. You're now one of Christ's people. It's no longer from an earthly um, sort of lineage or some sort of generational thing where you can do your family history and say, oh yeah, I belong to Christ because I'm from this family. No, you've been added into Christ because he's done a circumcision of your heart. He's made you uh, his, and now you bear the marks of of his, uh, of, of identity in him. Then he says in verse 12, you have been buried with him in baptism. Now I don't think immediately there he's, initially talking about water baptism, he's talking about baptism as the word immersion. So he's saying, although the outward sign of our being joined to Christ is that we get baptised physically to show what's happened, that being baptised in water, that immersion into the water, doesn't do anything spiritually for us in making us Christ. It's demonstrating publicly something that has taken place. And again, the scriptures use this image saying... When we uh, receive Christ, it's like we've been immersed into him. Our identity is joined with his identity. So what is his, his inheritance, his nature, his, uh, his righteousness, his grace, his mercy, all of those things, the, the, the nature and character of Christ, the, br- the root, as it were, the branch of our life gets uh, um, cut into the, 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 the vine, and all the the richness of Christ starts to flow into our lives. It's like we've been immersed into him. We've been uh, sort of dunked into Christ. Everything is immersed in Christ. 
He did it for us. We didn't have to do that. Uh, We didn't do that by ourselves. We weren't able to do that. But Christ has immersed us in himself. And then he says, in verse 12, you also were raised with him through faith. Now, what this is saying is that we were spiritually dead, just like a, a, a corpse you know, is unable to raise itself, it's unable to think or feel or engage with anything. And so the Bible says, we, before we receive Christ, we're spiritually dead. We can't reach God, we can't know God, we can't understand God. We're even hostile to God. We don't want to live near to God. We don't want anything to do with God because we're dead in our nature. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. There's no spiritual life in us whatsoever. We're wandering around in life looking for the answer, but we're not able to find it because we're spiritually dead, spiritually blind, spiritually incapable of finding uh, the answers to life and finding God for ourselves. But it says here, you were raised with him through faith. Now what that means is when we look to Jesus Christ and we actually realize, no, you are the saviour. You are the saviour of uh, mankind. And I believe you're the son of God. I believe you died for me. I believe that you, you took the pun- penalty for sin on the cross and that by me uh, receiving you into my life by faith, I suddenly, by this miraculous work of the Holy Spirit, I am raised to newness of life. So if you are a believer this morning... You have been given new life. You are alive spiritually. Now, sometimes we might think to ourselves on a Monday morning and it's not so good, and you think, oh, I haven't done very well last week. I don't feel very much alive. I don't feel spiritually alive. What we feel like is irrelevant. It's something God did to us. He has raised us from the dead. He's given us new life. And life is always going to be about that journey, discovering who we actually are. But our performance, how we feel we're doing, whether we're up, down, whether we've messed up, whether we've uh, failed him again, however that is, it never ever changes the fact that Christ has made us alive. That's who we are. It can't be changed. We are alive in some ways, whatever we do, we are alive. And his resurrection power is at work in us. So the passage says, as you received him, now... So walk in him. So walk in him. So in other words, once we understand what Christ has done for us, that should help us to then live out the Christian life in a way that will um, we'll make progress. And he uses a few images again here. He says, um, we are to be rooted in him. Rooted in in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So let's just look at each of those words very quickly. Firstly, um, rooted. Now the image that's being used here is that Christ is like the soil and we are a plant. And the life flows into the plant from the soil. So when you put the plant in the soil, over time, the life that's in the soil nourishes the plant, and it grows. And so what uh, Paul is saying here is that we are, we've been placed in Christ. And because we've been placed in Christ, over time, we will find that we are, we are rooted. Our roots get really deep into the soil. And the life of Christ begins to 
flourish in us. We actually start to grow. We start to uh, develop. We start to mature. We start to become more in line with the identity that's true of us. We are alive, but we start to now live. We start to now um, begin to live in the good of who we actually now are. We don't have to try and become something. We just live in the good of who we are. And Paul says, I want you to be rooted in Christ. Now, many of us were rooted in many other things before we became Christians. We were rooted in practices, in thoughts, in opinions, whether it was of other, opinion, other people or of ourselves. We had all sorts of soil that we were rooted in, uh, things that, that really um, are not godly, are not good for us. They don't make us flourish. The plant was very withered. It was very un- undernourished. So Paul said, no, be, be rooted in Christ. Make sure that your roots really go down into the soil of who Christ is. Now, that's, that's a lifetime's journey. And if you are following Christ, perhaps you've been following, just a, following him just a, a little while, let me say to you, the Christian life is a marathon, it's not a sprint. It's about us letting our roots increasingly go deeper and deeper and deeper into the soil of Christ so that we become more and more like him. It's a journey. It's a, it's a process of transformation. It's not a, an immediate thing that we immediately become mature and like him in every respect. No, we, we need to get rooted into who he is. We are in Christ, so let's begin to draw from him. So whenever what helps me is sometimes whenever I'm struggling with thoughts or deeds or words or whatever, and I'm thinking I, I, I just don't really feel very godly in this. I want to let my thinking and my behavior get rooted in Christ. I want to find what does Christ think about this? How can I want to let his life begin to manifest itself in me rather than me taking over? I want him to manifest his life through me. And that's a journey. And it says being rooted and built up. Again, it's saying this is a process. We should all be growing in Christ every day, every month, every year, through the decades. And it doesn't mean we become less likely to get into problems or difficulties. And, and you know, I think it's, it's important to say that if you've been a Christian 50 years or, or five days, all of us need to, to take care. All of us need to be aware we're all very frail. We're all very fragile. And although we have the, the powerful life of Christ in us, there is still our flesh that we battle with sometimes. And we, we need to you know, be built up so that we don't think, oh yeah, I know it all now. All right, there's no risk to me. I've, I, I'm, a lot more, I'm a lot more sort of uh, uh, strong now as a Christian than I ever used to be. The Bible says, if you think you're standing firm, well, take care lest you fall. Because it's really important that we, we, um, we just make sure that we watch ourselves. We, we know that there is an enemy that's trying to trying to destroy us. Some, someone uh, gave me a really good image once about how we grow in life. And if you can imagine uh, like a tree, uh, and around that tree there's a rope uh, wound, and it's very tightly bound. And that tree is, is your life and my life. And that rope sometimes are the things that uh, our enemy, that Satan sort of ties around our lives. It might be habits or perspectives or behaviors or, or attacks against us. It might, there might be a whole manner of things that the rope that the enemy puts around us to try and stop us, stop us you know, being who we are. 
uh, gets tighter and tighter. We can live with all sorts of things that we struggle with over, over perhaps many months or years. We feel we just make some progress and then this rope's still there and just can't seem to get free. And uh, we, what's more, we don't have a knife to cut it off. We can't just say to someone, I'll oh, come and cut this rope off and just set me free. How do I get free? How, how do I get free with this rope tightly around me as this tree? How, 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 do, how, does, how do I get free? And the answer that my friend gave to me is this. Just let the tree grow. Because what happens is as a tree grows, then whatever rope is binding it, the, the trunk will just gradually get bigger and bigger and bigger, and eventually ropes have to, they just snap. And sometimes in the Christian life, we can feel, oh, I've been struggling for so many years with this or with that, and we think, oh, I can't seem to get free. If only I could be free. Let the tree grow. Let this rooting, let the, the life of Christ come up within us so that gradually we become more and more filled with the Spirit, more and more rooted in Christ, more and more built up in Him. And then we find actually that the things that the devil has used to kind of constrict us, we find that our life naturally breaks free from them because the life of God, the life of Christ within us, brings us into a stature that helps us break through. He talks then about being established. Established. You know, Satan will constantly try to destabilize us. He'll constantly try to frustrate the plan of God for us individually or for us as a church. That's what Satan does. He wants to frustrate everything. He wants to, even if he can't take you out completely, because he knows he can't do that, because if you're in Christ, you belong to Christ. You can't, you can't be taken out of the game, as it were. What he will do instead is he'll frustrate. He'll frustrate. He'll try to just do things to you or around you. He'll do things to us or around us as a church. He'll try to frustrate the purposes of God by getting us to take our eyes off Christ, getting us to feel, oh, Christ is, is annoyed with me, irritated by me, doesn't really love me. He'll get us to believe things that aren't true in an attempt to frustrate the purposes of God. But Paul says, no, be established, be steady, be established in what you know to be true. Just as you were taught, it says there, just as you were taught. And you know, there are loads of voices, aren't there, now? We can flick on any sort of social media or any podcast or any YouTube channel and listen to all sorts of voices. But Paul says, I want you to be rooted and built up and established in the faith, faith just as you were taught. And there's a, there is a bit of a warning to us as individuals and as a church. Don't let's get ever carried away by winds of doctrine or the latest fad or all sorts of emphasis and things that come through that we know we weren't taught that. We know that's not how we've been taught. And, and I've seen many Christians go off on all sorts of uh, wilderness journeys because something has just caught their attention. Something, oh, they've got into something. They've become a one-issue Christian. And they just go on and on about the same thing because something's got in there and it's made them sort of skewed. It's, it's affected their... The way, what they believe, and they've become more and more engrossed in a certain teacher or a certain teaching or a certain emphasis. And Paul says that, no, be rooted, established, um, built up as you were taught. In other words, you know those whom you received the gospel for. You know the, the, the basic gospel. You know the truth. Don't get caught off into strange doc doctrines. And I would even say that it applies to the way we live as Christians. And I, I, I do believe that in the, the days we are living in, 
Christians will increase... Well, we used to try and sort of talk about Christians becoming culturally relevant, didn't we, to try and communicate with the world. So we kind of, um, you know, we want, don't want to be so dif- distant from people, so we want to be culturally relevant. I think our culture has gone so wildly godless that it is inevitable now that Christians will stand out like a sore thumb in the world we live in. The contrast will become so distinct in the coming days because moral breakdown has taken place on an enormous landslide scale in our nation. And the church will have to start living as lights in the darkness. We will have to become those that say, no, we're not going to get... We're not going to compromise biblical teaching. We're not going to compromise what the Bible says is true. We're not going to say that, well, actually, yes, we can see that modern thinking now is much more like this, so we'll, we'll tone that bit down. We'll pass resolutions that we don't believe that bit anymore. Now, brothers and sisters, we've, we've got to hold fast to the truth. Hold fast to the truth. And who knows whether the days may even come in this nation where we might even have to suffer for that in various ways. I don't think we're far from that, to be honest. But I do know this. We must stay as we were taught. We believe in the authority of Scripture. We believe in the fundamental doctrines of the Bible. We believe that Christians live a different life from the life they were rescued from. We're not who we were. We belong to someone else. We're now living in a different kingdom with different values and different, different things that govern our our speech, our practice, our opinions, as you were taught, is what Paul says. And then abounding in thanksgiving, this is the last point. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, I always find this, talking about countercultural. I always find this an incredible challenge, where Paul says to the Thessalonians, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That's <laughs> just so, so not me. You know, I mean, rejoice always. How many, how many people do you know who rejoice all the time? I mean, I know a few, but not many. It's not like natural, is it? If something is going wrong, how do you rejoice? And pray without ceasing. I mean, I love prayer. I believe in prayer. But how many people do you know who pray without ceasing? It's just like, let's just say, oxygen. It's just what they do. And how many people do you know who give thanks in all circumstances? Whatever's going on, well, I'm just thankful to God. Just thankful to God. I mean, there are people like that. But there's not many of them. And yet, so we say, oh, well, perhaps they're just special people. But it says there, this is God's will for you. We can't escape. This is how we're supposed to be. This is God's will for you in in Christ Jesus. If living in him means anything, it means that these things will become part of our lifestyle. Now, I've pondered over that many, many times. think, well, how does that happen? And the reason or the times or the ways in which it happens, I think, is this. The closer we get to understanding how Jesus feels about us, the more naturally those things don't become sort of things you just do because they have to be done. They become things that naturally flow out of our hearts because we've seen someone who makes us feel like rejoicing. We've seen someone that we know, well, if I pray, he listens. And we've seen someone that no matter what is going on in life and however difficult and dark and complicated it gets, we know we've got someone to whom we can give thanks because he's got us securely in his hands, 
in all circumstances. It doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances. That would be strange. But we can give thanks in all circumstances once we get to know the one who's got us. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So as we begin this series, I would, I would love personally, I just, I just want to get to know Jesus again with, with, with greater insight. As I read through this book, there were so many things. It's not that I read things I didn't know, but I read things and they were put in a way that I thought, oh, that is just, that's just breathtaking. It just opened a bit of scripture to me in a way I hadn't seen it before. So I just want to commend us as a church. Let's do this journey together. We want to get to know Jesus better, yeah? Anybody in the room want to know Jesus better? Yeah, you're allowed to say yes. Behind your masks. <laughs> to be honest, if the government said you can't praise Jesus, I'd say forget it, to be honest, because I'm going to praise him, right? We want to know Jesus better, yes? We do. We want to grow in him. There's nothing going to stop that except us and the Satan's attempt to frustrate what God wants to do. is He wants us to understand the extraordinary, incredible love that Christ has for us that's even better than we ever imagined it was and will leave us breathless, really, thinking, I just never realised you loved me that much. I never realised. I knew you loved me, you know, an amount, but this is on a scale that I can't even quantify. To learn those things together, I think, would do us a lot of good as a church. It will do us a lot of good personally. So I'm going to pray that God will help us through these, these weeks. Get the book, get involved with your community group, discussing it, share with your friends things you're, you're getting from the book. Let's have some posts on Facebook, on the group, the church group, things you've read in it. Think, oh, that was amazing. Just going to, that, just going to put that little sentence in there, I've read that. Let's, let's help each other with things that we're discerning. You up for that? Yeah? It's only nine quid. Goodness, what is that? A couple of McDonald's burgers or whatever. You know, nine quid to change your life. A burger won't change your life. This book will. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've got some wonderful surprises ahead for us as a church as we just focus on Jesus once more. And we pray, Holy Spirit, you're the one who reveals Christ. You're the one who teaches us about him. You're the one who shows us the wonders about him. And we want to pray, Lord, that we will find more and more amazing things about how Jesus feels about us as we look at these scriptures, as we journey through the preaching together, as we discuss in small groups, and as we think on our own when we're just thinking about things, and as we read the book, Lord, we just ask for real revelation and illumination to come throughout this church. So there's so many testimonies of people saying, wow, I just feel I know Jesus and his heart for me so much more through doing this together. We pray that, Lord. And I pray that there will be people who come to know Jesus through doing this series. That people who at the moment don't know him, maybe even people watching right now, I pray, Lord, that people will come to receive Jesus as their, their saviour. Like that thief on the cross. They'll be able to say, the man on the middle cross said I could come. Lord, we pray that would happen for people as we do this series together in Jesus' name.